Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us to be a president of PCG Records, Bernard Porter. You're going to hear his story of growing up in Kentucky and his time as a touring musician. You'll also hear stories from parts of his life where he managed Jerry Lee Lewis and Little Richard. And finally, you're going to hear the story of how he got Jason Aldean his record deal and when he first told Jason he got signed. I had a great time talking with Bernard. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter. You gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. How you doing today, Bernard? Well, uh, my friend, I'm doing great. Uh, it's a, a blessed day. I love the uh, fall season and the changeover, and uh, uh, very thankful to be here with you. Thank you for coming on. So getting right into your story, you were raised in Kentucky. What was your childhood like? Well, my childhood was was rough because I was raised by a single mom, and uh, I was I lost my father very, very young, tragically, and uh, I kind of witnessed that. So that was that's a hard thing for a young person to get over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was very thankful for the mentors that kind of got put in my pathway, you know, during my growing up during that time, because I could have very easily uh, just and gone down the wrong path. Right. Very easily. And, uh, and I know I know we're going to get into the music side in a minute, but music, uh, I definitely credit music with saving me in a lot of ways. Now, it, it was your mom that actually introduced you to music, right? She got you your first guitar? She did. She bought me a, a, a guitar, and I'm so thankful that I never sold it, <laughs> you know, because right. you, don't, you don't really, when you're young like that, you don't really put a value on the importance of something so significant in your life. And I remember having it out at yard sales, when I had kind of evolved and gotten less Pauls and Telecasters and Stratocasters and the Gibson E35s, I've had every, just about every kind of guitar you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, they were much more expensive, but to me, that little guitar is priceless sure. and it, it never sold at the yard sale. And, uh, we had multiple ones. There must've been a reason I'm very for that. Thank- I'm very thankful it never did so- sell because it sits right next to me right now in the office. Yeah. Now, was this something you asked for was a guitar or she thought this is something that you might need just to kind of something to do? Uh, It was kind of one of those things she thought I needed something to do because we lived out in the country and there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, we were very spread out at that time in that part of Kentucky. So it, it, it was hard to have somebody just come over and play with you at your house unless somebody drove you. Right. So that guitar kind of became my world. And I really practice all the time i didn't have the advantages that you guys have we didn't have youtube we couldn't go and do tutorials online we had what was called a mel bay booklet (laughs) and that mel bay booklet is what got me started with basic chord fundamentals Mm -hmm. so from there i just kept advancing with it and i had a i had a gift for it it felt right in my hands and it became very therapeutic uh, for me you know, going through the trials and tribulations of, you know, living a hard life and 
struggling and, you know, trying to take care of what you could take care of at such a young age, a lot of responsibility at a young age. Now, were you any putting any lyrics to paper at that time or were you just focusing on the guitar? Uh, at that point, I was just focusing on the guitar. I didn't really understand the songwriting side of things. I did uh, network with a couple guys who were older than me that, um, you know, I learned little licks and little song uh, uh, phrases from. And uh, I really uh, always uh, uh, respected and adored that side of it, you know, the mentoring side. And we're going to hear that. You're going to hear that from me a lot on this thing, the mentoring side. It's it's so important. Right. And, you know, I was always one of those people uh, that sucked it in mm -hmm. and would listen, you know, to people, right. you know, and, and try to learn. And I pride myself on uh, I did learn things in school, but I would definitely say that from the mentorship that I've had from people that came in my life in different phases of my life, that that's where the real education uh, came into play. For sure. Now, I've heard stories about you going out on the road, playing professionally. How does a young guy out of Kentucky make it out of like a small town like that? Well, my mother ended up deciding to, um, I had a stepfather during those times for a brief period of time. Mm -hmm. And that's how we ended up in Kentucky because that was his hometown. But he ended up going, he was military. He ended up going to Korea and oh, wow. leaving us in his, leaving this city boy and his mom in the middle of the wilderness. Jeez. It was crazy, but I have to say I fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with the country. I'd never seen anything like that before. You know, I, I love getting out in, uh, I love getting out in nature uh, and barefooted. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, it's, it's funny we're talking about this now because I've been uh, doing a lot of research and reading the fact that when you look at the, a lot of the generations that preceded us, that a lot of times they had a healthier lives in the sense of their their bodies, their internal organs and stuff like that. And there's some research that points to the fact that because they were barefooted, you know, we have rubber, rubber soles that keep, you know, whatever that is from Mother Earth, from the magnetic, whatever you want to call it, from mm. really touching us. Yeah. So I encourage everybody to get out in their bare feet, walk in the grass every now and then and reflect nature. You know, get closer to God, you know, being out in the woods when it's so quiet, you can hear your footsteps. Yeah. Find yourself, be careful about it. Your Uncle Bernard is not saying go out in the middle of the woods by yourself. You know, if you don't know what you're doing, I don't want to get you hurt. But I think everybody needs to experience that to a degree. Very, very therapeutic. And that helped me with my music. It helped me with my, my drive that I had. Mm -hmm. You know, and you've got a very strong drive too. You remind me a lot of myself when I was just going, I didn't know what to do at that time. I didn't have people like me around like you do. Yeah. But I, you know, I would just had that. I would say one of the biggest things that I had was um, I was very passionate and um, uh, I was very much a goal setter. And, uh, and the ambition in me is what took me there. Yeah. I was very ambitious. That was probably the strongest thing in me is I had ambition to do better and want to take care of things and want to have a better life and um, and, and and help people. That was mm -hmm. a big part of always who I wanted. That was a big core of what I wanted to do. If you want, if you really want me to be honest with you, Justin, I wanted to be a doctor. Really? I remember you saying that now because now, but now yeah. you're a doctor for artists. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. I didn't realize that. And then all of a sudden I realized I am a doctor. I'm just a different kind of, I'm a doctor of, I'm a doctor of, of this. I mean, I talk people off cliffs all the time. Yeah. It's not just about music for me, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, people, you know, you're, you're in this entertainment industry, whether you be acting, modeling, music, you know, it's a, it's a jungle and it's a roller coaster. We right. can, we can, we can get down. We can go up. Tremendous highs, tremendous lows. Sometimes when it goes too far down, you got to have somebody like me that comes in and 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 keeps you on on track, keeps you on focus, lifts you up, tells right. you tell you it's not as bad as you think it is. Right. You know, we're it's funny human. that you talk. Oh, sorry. Keep going. No, I'm saying we're all human. Nobody, nobody is excluded from that club as far right. as the ups and downs of life. For sure. Now you talked about growing up in the country. And like just how that benefited you. I think it's really cool because I've been reading Johnny Cash's book and he says like the people that like to say country music isn't country anymore. It's because like the world's not country anymore. You know, it's never going to be as secluded as it was back in the day when those country songs were being written. So it is it is a definitely an advantage growing up in that time period where there was a lot more nature. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know this already, Justin, but there was a there was a part of my career that I was in a, a production uh, deal with Teddy Gentry of the group Alabama, which was, uh, you know, the artists of the millennium. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. But when they came out in the 1970s, everybody was saying that they were a pop man. Really? Now I want you to think about that. Now, when we look at Alabama in the context of the way we know them now mm-hmm. to say, uh, you know, play me some mountain music like grandma, if that ain't country, but at that particular time, they were viewed as a pop band to a certain degree, and they were on mainstream pop radio just because it was so popular. Yeah. But now we look at the new group of artists coming in, and it's the same thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that's not country. Well, they, they said they weren't country, but we know that they were. Yeah. And I think what you just said uh, encapsulates, um, you know, the generational pulse of it. To them, it is country. For sure. Now, it lets you know you're you're getting older, I guess, is when you say those types of comments, <laughs> you know. Now, did you meet some someone like yourself when you were playing guitar in Kentucky that helped you get out on the road, or was this? Did you just pack up the van and start playing? Well, I uh, I met a guy named Bill Riddle. God bless his soul. That became one of my first mentors in Kentucky, and he was related to my stepfather, and he was a wonderful man. Uh, and he taught me uh, the Wildwood Flower, and he taught me a lot of the traditional acoustic-styled uh, 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 guitar parts. And uh, he was a real blessing to my life in a lot of ways. He was a real smart guy, too. He had a software company. He was, in, uh, he was based out of Lexington and Frankfort, Kentucky, so he had a pretty good business going. He was about, uh, um, I'm going to say he was about 12 years older than I was, mm-hmm. you know, And we're talking, so he was 24, 25 years old at that time. Mm -hmm. But just a huge mentor. Uh, I give him a lot of credit with kind of getting me on track and really teaching me how to even tune my guitar properly. For sure. Because that's one of those things that can be frustrating for a young player when they don't even know how to tune it correctly. And even though they may be playing the chords right, it doesn't sound right. Right. Now, where does this decision come like uh, that you say, maybe I want to step away from being the artist musician on stage to maybe go into management? Well, that happened, that happened much later on in life. Um, 
the uh, we're going to skip a, a lot of chapters here, but we went. Um, I was really, really burning the candle at both ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point in the career, I was an independent artist. I had my own tour bus. I had a tractor trailer. Mm-hmm. I had a very large, expensive sound system, all JBL front loaded, heel 24 by 8 by tour, uh, by 4 mixing console. That mixing console alone was $30,000. Wow. I mean, I had significant equipment. Yeah. Hydraulic. I had a, uh, I had a, uh, 150 chromed par 64 lights on hydraulic lifts mm-hmm. when we went and played. So when we set up, you knew we were there. Yeah. Okay. So I was handling the booking, the bus driving, the mechanic, the mentor, the sweeper. I had so many jobs that I was carrying. It was killing me. Literally. I love the art of playing music when we played and making a living from it. Yeah. But all of the ancillary things that I did, and, and mind you, I had very talented people around me as artists. Right. But they weren't very good at those other things. They weren't mechanics. They weren't bus drivers. They were more like, you bring us in, we're part of the band, when we're on stage, we'll kill it. And finally... Uh, when I was 27 years old, we were playing a, a big venue called uh, called Rogue's Gallery. Sorry about that. We played a big venue in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia, called Rogue's Gallery. This is a, a thousand-seat venue right off the beach. Mm-hmm. Fun place to play. Love playing there. Yeah. I admired the guy that owned the place. He was a very successful businessman. He's still living, as a matter of fact. Wow. And he owned... He owns hotels and he owned property in resort cities all up and down the East Coast. And whenever he used to come in, and it wasn't all the time, I would make sure I'd go up and talk to him and introduce myself and ask him how everything was. And he was a very stylish guy, mm-hmm. always dressed impeccably, always uh, uh, most intimidating person I'd ever met at that point in my life. Not that he was mean. He just had a presence about him. You knew when he walked in the room. Right. I admired that about him and I studied him. So one time when I went in to get paid, the guys were packing up everything. He was in the office with the general manager. I thought something was wrong. Like one of my guys maybe did something wrong or I didn't know. I said, is everything okay? His name was Nabil Kassir and he was from Iraq. Mm-hmm. Okay. Came here with nothing. He said, Porter, I've been watching you for a long time. And he said, you know, I own a lot of properties and a lot of businesses, and I don't really know that much about music. And I was wondering if you want to start a company with me, and I'll give you part of the company. I'll help you get insurance on your wife and new baby. I just had my first child. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'll help you. I'll even help you buy a house to get you settled here. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. But he said, I got to know if you want to do it. He said, I think you're the perfect guy. Mm-hmm. So within um, so within a weekend, I replaced myself in my own band. I went from a rock and roll, long haired, you know, that time makeup wearing. I mean, we were doing it all to a desk and a suit and haircut. Short, it freaked people out. <laughs> they could not believe it would be almost like you stepping away from music. Yeah. With everybody, with everybody 
with, with everything that everybody knows about your passion for what you do, Justin, it would be like you taking a, a turn. And people even challenge me, are you sure? Because <laughs> actually everything was going pretty well. The music career, we had caught the attention of uh, Michael Narda Walden, who was a big producer. He produced Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. We had just done a big thing with Clarence Clemens from Bruce Springsteen. I mean, we had some cool things going on, but I didn't know if I'd ever get another chance like that again. Right. Now, what was what was the band name that you guys were going under at, at that time, like with the bus and the council and everything? Like, what were you guys going under? The last band that we had was called Faces, F-A-C-E-S. Okay? And that was probably the and most did, successful version of the band? Uh, I don't know if it's the most successful, but it was just, just different versions. You know, back in those days, in the 1980s, you could literally work seven nights a week make good money culturally as a society we would go out every night yeah people that came home from their office they go out clubbing right live bands were the way to go if you were great at what you do you had to do some cover stuff but you could do your own original uh, music it mm-hmm. was very theatrical in production and sound and image it yeah. was very concert-esque in the way that it presented itself and um um uh, we we could work every night of the year if we wanted to. That's how popular we were. Wow. Yeah. Now, uh, I've heard the story a few times, but I, I definitely want you to tell it again because I think it's so important. The importance of taking a phone call and uh, just taking that time to speak to people is how you landed one of your first big management deals with the Little Richard. Can you tell our listeners that story? Yeah, I got a call from a, a lady by the name of Sandra Swift. I'll never forget her. And uh, it was a cold call. And I'm one of these guys that I'll pretty much take any call that comes in, but I will determine how long I stay on it. I don't, I'm not a time waiter. What can I help you with? I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Or, you know, why are you contacting me today? Right. So I went through the drill. She said, Mr. Porter, I was told that you could help me and you know what you're doing. And I've just been handed a project and I don't really don't know what to do with it. I said, okay, well, what do you do? She said, well, I, I work for a uh, book publishing distributor and we're going to be producing an event at the Bonaventure Hotel in Los Angeles, California. And she said, I've never done anything. My, my boss just put it on my desk and said, handle it. And she said, I said, okay, so what do we need to do? She said, we need to create the ultimate party experience. Yeah. And I said, why are you doing this? She said, I said, because we, we, she said, because we want all these little book publishers to come into our party and get familiar with our new brand so we can sign them to distribution. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I got that. I said, so you want a party where they're having fun and dancing? And she said, yes, yes, yes. So that, that one call led me to producing an event where they paid a half million dollars for that event. Okay, because the whole convention was invited to this party and they wanted their party to be the talk of everybody. Yeah. So I started thinking to myself, what would be the ultimate party group, the party artist? My mother was always a fan of Little Richard. Yeah. And so I was able to get in touch with his agent at the time. And we booked Little Richard. Okay. And on front of Little Richard, we put a cover band called the Blues Other Brothers mm-hmm. that had their, their song list was an arsenal, party song after party song. You know the Blues Brothers movie? Oh, yeah. I think if they had 10 brothers, they're all dressed oh, wow. like them. There's 10 of them. Horn section, somersaults, just kick ass. That's crazy. So they opened for Little Richard. Mm-hmm. And 
show was the success, people dancing on the tables. This company's name was the talk of the convention. They won. Everybody wanted to sign up with them. Okay. Yeah. So here's where the play came in. Out of respect for my mother and the king of rock and roll, Little Richard, you have something called a, uh, a, a hospitality rider. So in the hospitality rider, they asked for a two-bedroom suite. He got it. Piano in his suite. He got it. Selected amounts of teas and honeys. He got it. He got everything on that list. A lot of times people will cross it out. No, I'm not going to give you that. A lot of times, as long as you're paying that artist, with will oh, no big deal. Right. I gave him everything. Mm-hmm. So, And I wasn't even planning on going and meeting Little Richard. Just you know, out of respect, you know. yeah. Yeah. But his road manager came to me and said, Little Richard wants to meet the man that respected him today. I said, wow. So he took me up to that suite. And I, within, within five minutes, he was on the piano and he and I were singing together. And we bonded. And he invited me back. And that, re- that relationship that I created, not only did I make a good income from the event, not only did the company win at the event, but I developed a relationship with Little Richard that went on for 15 years of me making income through him calling me and saying, Bernard, would you handle this for me? Yeah. Bernard, would you call these people for me? Bernard, would you call this promoter in Canada and put that together? Mm-hmm. It turned in over 15 years. Uh, it turned into millions of dollars. Yeah. Now, how did that connection? Through one thing. Yeah. Thing, just one thing treating somebody right doing our job for sure now how yeah. did that uh lead to your uh meeting uh jerry lee lewis they did a show together and he uh according to richard i wasn't there mm-hmm. he saw the frustration on jerry and he said you need to call bernard he said, well who is bernard he gave him my phone number so jerry lee lewis calls me at the house sometime after that so how oh, this is jerry lee lewis I speak to Bernard Porter. I thought it was my friend Kevin Pranken. I hung up on him. Wow. And then he called right back, and I realized it wasn't a prank. I said, oh, Mr. Lewis, I'm so sorry. You know, me and my friend Kevin, we prank each other all the time. And I thought, that, oh, don't worry about it. He said, I want to fly you down to Nazareth, Mississippi. I need to talk to you. Yeah. So he flew me down there. They had a car pick me up. I went down from Memphis Signature Center. Drove down to his ranch. I'll never forget it as long as I live. He walks out in a white bathrobe. And, he, and all he said was, son, I want you to take over. That was it. Wow. And in my mind, Justin, I was going, this is going to be crazy. This is going to be crazy. This is, this is what my mind was. But how can you turn it down? Right. I couldn't turn it down. And it was crazy. Yeah. I got the greatest stories, a lot of which I can't even tell. <laughs> but the greatest stories that anybody could ever tell about being with him in certain scenarios. And he's a genius. He's an absolute bona fide genius, supernatural stuff. I mean, stuff, some stuff I still can't explain. For sure. There's a magic on him, man. Like I've never, I've never seen. And uh, yeah, so it, it was, it was a, a great honor to work with, you know, the, the icons of, rock when you research if you're a young person go research your, your predecessors find out get influenced by them yeah you know look at who they influenced yeah it's really unbelievable it's like working with 
you know, and Jerry's still alive, Justin. Yeah. He's still alive. Last man standing. <laughs> when sure. you look at Sun Records, Sun Records, Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison. If you had been a betting man back in the day, you probably would have said Jerry's going first. <laughs> yeah. He's the only he's the only one that's left. That's crazy. The only one. Now, fast forwarding a few more years, uh, you actually are pretty much you kind of helped launch Jason Aldean's career. Take me through the time that you see him perform and the uh kind of the pitch meetings or the first initial pitch meetings of taking him into the label. Yeah, well, Michael Knox, his producer, and, and Mike is the one that kind of picked him out of making Georgia, kept the relationship with him, worked with him, um, and, and tried to get him traction. And they, they just were um, – Jason had a little stint at Liberty Records. Uh-huh. It never went anywhere. And everybody had pretty much turned him down. But Michael still believed in him. And Michael said, look, um, uh, I need let, let me back up a second. Yeah, The introduction of Michael Knox – I knew Michael. Obviously, he was running uh, Warner Chapel Music. It was a big publisher. Kitty Moon was one of the original managers of Jason. Okay? A lot of people don't know that. Kitty's not with us anymore. Very, very smart, smart, savvy woman. Kitty took Jason's package to my partner, Stan Mares, who was iconic in the music industry. Okay? Uh, we were part of the consortium management firm. Stan came in and put that on my desk and said, take a look at this. What do you think? So I listened to what I, I listened to Jason for the first time. Then Michael Knox had produced it. And I go, wow. Wow. In my mind, we needed something that could resonate to a new, a young audience. Yeah. And I thought that he was it. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Stan and I said, Stan, we got to go to Benny Brown on this. We got to get this done. This kid has potential. To me, it's what we need on this label. We had a co-venture with Broken Bow Records mm-hmm. in the in the world of marketing and A&R. Mike Martinovich was a partner in the firm. Mike had been with Sony Records. Mike was an amazing marketeer. He was heavily. Michael Martinovich, who was my partner with Stan, was very instrumental in the marketing of Garth Brooks. Yeah. Very respected guys. So that's why Broken Bow did the co-venture with us because of that level of expertise that we had. Mm-hmm. So we had the ability to sign something through that relationship to Broken Bow, but Benny Brown, the owner, had to approve it. For sure. So we kind of gave him the check mark. Now we're going to Benny to try to get him on board. Yeah. And it took several tries to get him on board because Benny wasn't feeling it like I was because Benny was more of a traditional listener, at least at that time. Right. And I was wearing him out on it, too, you know. And I think about the seventh call that we had about that topic. Uh, Benny said, I said, Benny, what are we going to do about this? And Michael and Jason, they're calling and we want to do it. What Have you thought about what you want to do? Uh-huh. And, and I just was, I, I kept selling. And he said, he said, it, he said it very undertone. He, Let's do it. I missed it. And I kept going. He said, Bernard, I said, let's do it. I go, what? <laughs> really? Okay, great. I said, you're going to fly in? He said, no, you get with Paul Brown, uh, who is his uh, in-house lawyer and his nephew. He said, you and Paul just get together and let them know. So I called Michael Knox. I said, Michael, 
I got some news. He said, I know y'all are passing. I said, no, we're actually going to sign. He goes, what? He said, I said, but Michael, don't you say nothing to him because I want you guys to meet me over at the red door. And I'm going to know if you said something because I'm going to be able to read his face. Yeah. I said, I want to make him think we're passing and then I'm going to hit him. He said, okay, sounds like fun. So I'm, I'm already there. Paul arrives and Paul knew Paul was in on the whole thing we were going to do. And they come in and, and, uh, and Jason sits down. He goes, hey, Bernard. I said, hey, Jason, how are you? He's great. And I said, well, Jason, you know what? Uh, we've taken a long, hard look at this. And um, I've talked to Benny about it. And I'm setting this thing up. It sounds like I'm going to say we're going to pass. <laughs> and I had gone to the store and gotten a cigar. And I reached in my coat pocket. And I said, welcome to Broken Bow Records. He goes, what? Oh, I just wish I had it on video. Oh, man, that would have been so incredible. I can't believe that I didn't do it. Yeah. But that's what started the whole thing. I that's think. awesome. Now, yeah. fast forwarding to your next venture, what gives you the idea to launch PCG and what was the idea behind launching it? Um, when I look back at my history in life, I, I was feeling really, I was making money, uh, my friend, but I wasn't feeling content like I was doing anything to help my fellow man. And I really felt that uh, uh, we needed to kind of be a beacon for young artists out there that really didn't nobody was really kind of giving them the proper guidance. There are some people out there giving them forms of it, mm -hmm. but I felt like I had a pretty good overall um, scope of what needed to happen um, you know, with the full scale career. Yeah. And, um, and that's really the reason why we started premier career guidance is to, you know, that mentorship that we talked about, you were going to be hearing more and more about here it is. Yeah. You know, it's a tough business. We can do everything right. Sometimes it doesn't work. You know, you get people in, they've got the talent, but they don't have the work ethic. There's so much that goes into it, man. And it's even with all of that, sometimes, you know, we, nobody has any control over the timing and the luck. Nobody does. Anybody tells you that they can guarantee you something is lying to you. You know, even if it's the head of a label, they can't even guarantee it. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it just takes hard work and perseverance and so we created a collective group of experts all over the country that can come in and there's where my doctor role comes. I can prescribe various things as I see everything from even anxiety problems or health issues or nutrition or stage presence or media training or wardrobe or brand or style or digital strategies, mm -hmm. all of the above. Yeah. There's a time and place for everything. Everybody's different. For sure. Now, um, who are some of the, to our listeners out there, who are some of the notable clients on your roster right now that you're working with that you're really happy to bring to market? Well, we're very, we're very uh, proud of the fact that uh, Gail, the success level that she had, Gail was with me for a couple of years in the program. And, you know, she had the number one song on streaming platforms, A, B, C, D, E, F, U. You remember yeah. that? Mm -hmm. And she really led a generation, you know, the generational song for COVID. There's that timing. She had a very melodic song that said what they pretty much wanted to say to the world because of COVID and not being able to do that. Right. That timing just it exploded. Right. You know, now she's on touring all over the world. She made a bunch of money and she's only 17 years old. Okay. Right. Yeah. We've got a, we've got a horizon artist getting ready to come out right now. Sydney Palmieri, who is an alumni right now, but she really found herself musically got a big record coming out she's getting a lot of uh, uh, attention on social media and then new york city with fashion week 
Mm -hmm. uh, of course, Michael Ray is an alumni. He's done pretty well with a couple number ones under his rack under his belt already. He's on the uh, in within the Warner system in, in the country field. Hello, sister has done really well with, with what they've done on television. They've got a new record out right now that, that's cooking. We also have worked with established artists like the Newsboys and people like that, that we've been clients for a long time. Wes Campbell, their manager, has been a close ally and a, almost a best friend for years and years and years. Uh, we consult uh, corporations like Simon Mall uh, Properties, uh, Dave Investors, different things like that, head of entertainment uh, things that they do sometimes. So sometimes we can offer events and different things like that. So we're kind of all over the boards, you know, which is the way where you have to be in the climate of the world right now. For sure. Now in the yeah. past, uh, in, in the past uh, year or so, you launched PCG records, uh, signing your flagship artist, Paige King Johnson. What was it like in the idea to launch PCG records? And what was the process like of choosing Paige as your first flagship artist? Um, I could boil it down with her. You know, of course, everybody that comes into the program we feel is ultra talented. You have to be that in order to get in. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I think that uh, it was about number one, timing and work ethic. Yeah. You know, other, other than you, she's one of the hardest working artists that I've ever worked with. For sure. She is on it, man. And I so mean, I knew that we were been insane for her too, climbing the charts and everything. Well, I'm very proud to say that our label at this moment has the number one independent female country artist on the Billboard charts. Number wow. one. Congratulations! That's She's awesome. Ahead. Yeah. So, and uh, and from that traction, because the way I've built the business model is, I want her to outgrow us. Mm -hmm. That label is not to hold her down. For sure. If she can get a major interest in her, we win too. It's all about helping her. Right. And now we have a major that she has a meeting with that because of that announcement we made yeah. with her positioning. And now her stats are building, her socials are building, her subscribers are building. It's giving her the proof of concept to get in front of somebody like that because it makes sense. Right. Now, I like to close all my interviews. What's a piece of advice that uh, you, you see from the back end of the industry that you would give to aspiring artists, people that want to make it in the music industry? Okay. Trust your gut. Your gut instinct will be right more than it's wrong. Promise you that. Yeah. Uh, if it's wrong, you will learn wisdom from it. Always trust that about people, situations. My, my gut's saying don't walk down that alley. Don't walk down the alley. Yeah. My gut's telling me that I shouldn't sign this agreement. Don't sign it. My, my gut's telling me that they're rushing me and that I shouldn't do this. Don't do it, guys. Don't do it. I can't tell you the times I've met with people and I said, well, how did you feel before you got into that terrible situation? Well, I didn't feel good. Well, why did you do it? They go, I don't know. Yeah. Don't be bullied into anything. If somebody's pressuring you into something, usually that means something. Yeah. Somebody that has integrity in class is going to give you the time that you need to do your due diligence, which is your research. Determine whether that's the right thing for you. Guys, life is short, and then treat everybody with respect. Make impact on everybody that you meet, from the cashier at the supermarket to the person at the gas station. Brighten everybody's day. Watch what that does for you. Sure. It's all mathematical, guys, every bit of it. It's all mathematical. Yeah. God invented numbers. 
the way you posture yourself on this earth will create a positive and energy around you and what you're doing with your career, your health, your relationships, and your life. Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Bernard Porter. Bernard, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with you. Everyone go follow him on Instagram at Bernard Porter. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with Dan Holkhalter, fiddle player for Dirk Spetling. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram, at Starting Small Music, and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.